0: ready i'm on i'm turned on man all right hey it's great to be here this morning church uh thank you pastor for the privilege of coming and sharing with your people and uh man i hope today that god will do a great work in our hearts and lives uh this weekend um all right over the uh course of this next several services i'll kind of lace my story throughout it but um, I want to talk to you this morning, and I uh, shared with Pastor Corey, I felt like today was uh, very, this early service is very important, because I kind of want to lay the foundation for everything that we'll be talking about over the next several services, and this uh, marathon of meetings that we're having, and uh, man, I appreciate you being here, I appreciate the way you're going about it, because uh, it seems like one thing we have less of every day is time. Yet we have technology and devices to make us have more time and it seems like we have less time. Um, But today I want to talk to you about the subject of canoeing the mountain. Uh, I ran across this and it really began to help shape my life and kind of become very encouraging and uh, formidable for me and my, my pathway and my life and you know, when you think about that, the canoe and the mountain, you say, well, man, what in the world does that mean? And it's an interesting dynamic because uh, the mindset that we have is the fact that uh, taking my canoe or my P-Row or whatever it may be up the mountain, and uh, that becomes an overwhelming thought in that capacity to think about a mountain and a canoe and what in the world does those two have in common other than uh, in taking uh, pretty pictures, uh, a picturesque scene or something of that nature. And uh, one of the reasons I want to share this with you because it's where we find ourselves in our nation. It's where we find ourselves in our cities. It's where we find ourselves as we are walking this out. We find ourselves having to canoe the mountains. And this idea came from uh, uh, a little thing uh, called the Louisiana Purchase uh, Whenever in um, 1806, uh, President Jefferson commissioned two guys to go forth Lewis and Clark, you may have heard of them, in this expedition And uh, they took a corpse of discovery, about 30 guys, and as they began to strike out, what their main purpose in that mission was when that Louisiana Purchase was to go and, and find a waterway that would go from the east coast to the west coast. Now, we knew that we had a, a waterway that went from the, the very east coast all the way to the Missouri River. So Lewis and Clark struck off or on the Missouri River, and they were going to try to find waterways that could go all the way to the west coast after this great purchase. I was studying about this, and one way they put it, for them to have been able to find a navigable waterway that went from east to west coast, intercontinental, all the way across the continent, would have been equivalent to the creating of the Internet in our day. So you realize that was a pretty significant discovery. And so Lewis at the time was uh, working for for uh, the president and he commissioned these guys to go out and begin to make a difference. And so they were going to explore and uh, this newly acquired territory to find this practical waterway. They were going to study the plant life, the animal life, the geography, the local people of the area. And so as they struck out on this, here's the interesting dynamic. The reason they chose these two men was because, or the reason they chose Lewis, was because he was a guy that was an excellent man, an expert in navigating the waterways. And so they took off on this Corpse of Discovery. Can you imagine that, going down the Missouri River? Uh, here goes Lewis, here goes Clark, and here comes 30 men behind them in these little canoes. Or, uh, they're going across down, they're going up the Missouri River. And so here's the interesting thing that I want to talk to you about. I really want you to pick up this that I'm going to share with you because they, as they went up the Missouri River, now, you know, if you're going to travel up a ri- uh, in a river, it's best to go down if the only means of uh, m- uh, motorization is your muscles. And so uh, nevertheless, the water was going in the opposite direction from the west. And so they began to go across this, go up this river, And they went up this river for 16 months. Now imagine paddling upstream for 16 months. And they were pretty fired up. I mean, you could imagine that. I mean, they're on a presidential commission. They're going out there and they're exploring this new territory. And man, they're seeing new things and new sights. And uh, as they went on this discovery, they went 16 months and they made it to the Missouri Falls to only run into a little thing called the Rocky Mountains. Now, they knew when they were on this discovery that they would run into mountains. Of course, the only mountains that they had really ever seen was like the Appalachian Mountains and those smaller mountains. But can you imagine, if we could go back to that slide for just a minute of this Rocky Mountain, when they were going up that river and all of a sudden you're in your P-Row and now you're thinking, Oh my goodness, what is this before me? What is it? It's massive. We went on a trip out out to uh, uh, Wyoming and South Dakota, Colorado this year. And we came in from South Dakota, came into Yellowstone first, and then went to the Grand Tetons. And uh, as we made that trip kind of backwards, when I went to Yellowstone, I'll just be honest, I was pretty disappointed. I mean, there were some cool things there, the artesian paint pots, there was, you know, the uh, Old Faithful geyser, there was the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone, there was buffalo and bear and different things, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for these mountains, these snow-capped, rocky mountains that I'd seen pictures of my whole life. And, and, and man, I, we went for two or three days and I never really saw them. I mean, I'd seen so neat and mountains and stuff but I'd seen stuff like that but when we left the Yellowstone and started south I mean about three miles out of Yellowstone you enter into the Grand Teton National Forest and when we came around that curve there they were I mean these massive massive mountains and so here's Lewis and Clark they're on a commission from the president to go and find a waterway from east to west so that they could have trade across the continent, and you go 16 months upriver to only run into the Rocky Mountains and to find no way past them. Now, what in the world does that mean for us today? Well, it means a lot, because at this point, they could have given up. They could have went back. They could have gone back to the president. They could have went back to Washington. They could have said, you know what, Mr. President? It's nothing like we thought it was going to be. It's nothing like we thought it was going to be, but i tell you what you do. Instead of using canoes for 16 months, if you will go back and send a group of guys with horses and buggies and and all these supplies and go to the Missouri Great Falls, we've mapped it out for you, and then bring you some hikers to figure out the way over the Rocky Mountains, that would have been acceptable to the president. It would have been. Because it was nothing like they had never, they they expected, they had never seen that before. But you know what, that's not what these men did. These men went to South Dakota and they hunkered down and they hung out there for the whole winter. And they began to say, how are we going to find a way over the mountain? Because they weren't quitters and they said you know what all we understand is the waterway. All we understand is navigating these pathways. But you know what we are not going back to the president and telling him we were a failure. We're not going to go back to the president of the United States the third president and say you know what it was a little tough. It was a little tough. No, sir, no, ma'am. Not the people who had just won the Revolutionary War. Not the people who were only three presidents into this early nation. They said, we will die trying. And these men began to figure out what must we do. And you say, what in the world does that have to do with us, Pastor? It's a lot. Because you see, my friends, there is a lot of similarities Because when we think about this world that we live in, it's not the same world that Pastor Corey led me to Christ in. I mean, I was 16-year-old right there. He was having a bonfire one night at the church. It was Halloween time. And, man, it was when we did crazy stuff. Like we brought cassette tapes and burned them if they didn't have good lyrics on them. And some of us still had a few albums hanging around. Now albums are cool, and they're buying vinyl again, but back then they weren't cool. And so we brought all that, and I'm telling you, it was the place to be. All we knew was there was this crazy preacher there, and he was preaching about sex and dancing and drinking and all this stuff. And he was attracting young people like crazy. And, man, all I knew is that was the place to be because that's where all the girls were. And so, man, I went there on a Friday night to a bonfire for one purpose. I was looking to pick up chicks. But I'm telling you, I had a head-on collision with a thrice-holy God around a bonfire one night. I went looking for girls, but God came looking for me. And I want you to understand, it's a different world that we live in back then. Matter of fact, nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. And we almost... From a theological point of view, we have entered into what we call a post-Christian world. The Christendom that I grew up in, the mindset that you grew up in, no longer exists. So what are we going to do? Are we going to fold in the sails? Are we going to go back to Washington or go back to heaven and say, you know what, God, it wasn't what I understood. The world changed around me. The mindset of the world, world, the worldview began to change. We entered into a post-Christian world, and I no longer can embrace that. And God, I didn't know what to do. It was tough. People were different. They spoke different languages. They looked different. They did life different, and their priorities changed, and their values changed. And you know what, God, they didn't like my values. They didn't like my worldview, So you know what? We just went back to church, came inside the sheetrock walls, hunkered down and said, even so, Lord, let it pass and come quickly. You know, the majority of Christians today are just praying. They're praying that they can ride it out till Jesus comes. You say, well, when's Jesus coming? Well, he comes every day for somebody. And in that dynamic, what we're thinking about is it's a post-Christian world. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you, training up a younger generation? My wife and I have had this discovery. We have two 16-year-olds, and we have a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old. Now, that's crazy. And so when you think about that, the thought that I've been thinking is the way that I trained my 16-year-olds is going to be different than the way I'm training the second generation. That's what we call them in our house. So I may refer to that the rest of this weekend as 1.0 and 2.0. That's just easy to summarize it in our family. So the way that we're training 2.0 will be different than the way we trained 1.0. Why? Because there's 14 years difference. And a lot of things have happened in those 14 years from the, from the day those two little twin girls came into my life. I'm telling you, when that fourteen, when those 16-year-olds came in and that 2-year-old came in, the world is a different place. But I am telling you today, church, I've come this way to let you know there has never been a better day to be engaged and to be making a difference for the glory of God and to be on a mission not from the President of the United States but from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, jesus christ the great i am and i'll tell you something i don't know about you but i am not going to go back to heaven and say lord it got a little tough and lord it was a little hard because they wanted to persecute me and lord i don't understand people so lord i just thought it would be best to go back to the church and ride it out how you think that's going to do in heaven I think that you're part of a great church family. I think that I pastor a wonderful church. I think that you're probably in the same place that we're in. We're asking ourselves, God, how do we stay relevant? How do we make a difference, Lord? How do we lead when it's changing over and over and over and things are moving so quickly? Well, you know, we have a road map. Because, you see, we live in what we call the post-Christian era, but there was somebody who lived in the pre-Christian era, and the symptoms were a lot of the same. You see, the Bible teaches us in John 1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men." If there's one verse I want you to remember this weekend, this is it. This is it. Write this down. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light. The light of who? The light of men. Oh, my friends, I want you to understand that Jesus came into a dark time. There was a time in the Christian world that they called it the dark ages. But it had nothing as dark as it was before Jesus came into the world. I'm telling you that he lived in a pre-Christian world. We live in a post-Christian world. And the symptoms are the same. You see, my friends, Jesus Christ led out of the darkness. And you and I, we have the privilege of leading into the darkness. You see, when you think about that, almost every day it gets darker and darker. I mean, it seems like things in the world, I'm not, i look, I am not a negative person. I am a glass half full. But let's just talk about the reality. Every day things get worse and worse and worse. Here in your state, you experience the horrific school shooting not long ago. And you wonder what next, where next, when next. I'm telling you that every day when your babies leave home or your spouse leaves home, you need to hug them and kiss them and pray over them for safe return. Because in the world that we live in, it is getting darker and darker every day. Why? Because the men who have the light are hiding the light. They have taken it back into the sanctuary sanctuary of safety and they're saying oh lord the world is so tough I don't know that I can embrace the world like it is so I'm just going to go back to the church we can't lose the light if we lose the light then we will fail at being light bearers I'm telling you something today that God didn't call you to shed the light in the sanctuary he called you to shed the light in the world yes the world is dark yes it's growing darker every day but we have a person in Jesus Christ who came out of the darkness and brought the light and said you can have that light you see jesus led out of the darkness we're leading into the darkness jesus brought out of the darkness he came out of that darkness we're bringing light into the darkness jesus was leading from religion we're leading from religion think about it every major denomination is declining except the Muslims, the Mormons, and the Jehovah Witness. They're the only ones on the rise. Now there's a reason that they're on the rise, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But every major evangelical movement is on the decline. The Baptists are the largest dying denomination in the world. We have a second campus that I pastor now. It's actually our third one. But it's our second camp, third camp, second campus in this state, because in this context, because it's here in the states. The reason that we have that campus is because it was part of a phenomenal Baptist heritage, but it got down to nothing. And they lost their ability to discern the times. Write that down. They lost their ability to discern the times. And as a result, their community changed all around them. And when their community changed all around them, they no longer could identify with the new people that were moving into their community. And because it was hard, because they spoke different languages, they lived differently, they had different cultural expressions, the way they did life was different, the the things they enjoyed different, the way they valued family was different. And because they were unwilling to change they died you see my friends what i want you to understand is that we are leading from religion millennials are fed up with religion they're done with it that's why all of your new churches that are growing doesn't have a whole lot to do with the name of the name they they're separating themselves from religion they're separating themselves jesus was leading from religion We're leading from religion because religion will do one thing for you. It'll get you high and leave you low. Jesus didn't come to instill a new religion. He came to bring a relationship. Christianity is about relationship, about a relational dynamic that God wants to have with me and you. You see, my friends, Jesus was leading in uncharted territories. We're leading in uncharted territories with the technical components. But we're actually not leading without a leader because Jesus has already led the way. You see, my friends, today he created a pathway out of nowhere, and now we just have to follow it. Sure, the technical components has changed, and we'll talk about this a little bit. Let me just give you one easy example. How many of you in here have Facebook? Let me just see your hand. All right, the rest of you are probably lying about it. Well, if you're younger, you probably don't. I remember when we started the church, Facebook really just started. It really took off 11 years ago. It was created by some college students who were under the age of 23. This year alone, 3 million people who are 25 years and younger this year is projected to delete their Facebook account and not have part of it anymore. Now, they moved on to something else. Don't think they're giving up on social media. they moved on to the, to the Instagram. They've moved on to the Snapchats and all these other things. But here's what I want you to understand. The giant of Facebook was created by college students, and now college students can't wait to delete it. My kids don't, my kids don't have Facebook. They say that's what old people do. That's what they tell you. And so when you think about this, everything is changing so quickly. But when you think about this dynamic, that Jesus Christ is the person who made the way. Now let's go back to Lewis and Clark for just a moment. Lewis and Clark went for 16 months upriver. 16 months. They hunkered down and they found this man who was going to help them. And he ended up being a knucklehead. But he was married to this woman named Sacagawea. Sacagawea was brought on their team to be their translator. But when the husband didn't work out too well, she ended up leading them over the Rocky Mountains. You see, my friends, they went 16 months upriver and faced a snow cap covered Rocky Mountains. We were there in July and there was snow on the mountain. Snow on the mountain. Can you imagine them getting there? And there being snow on the mountain And I'm thinking what are we going to do But these two men said failure is not an option We All we know is about Peros and boats and bateaux, And we're going to change what we know We're going to learn on the fly We have come too far to turn back Oh my friends I pray That when I leave here tomorrow night And you would say you know what Pastor Corey We have come too far to turn back We are going to press forward We are going to make a difference We're not going to look at the world and hide out And say boy, I hope it passes. I hope we can ride this thing out. But we are going to embrace the world because you already have your Sacagawea and his name is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ. You see, these men could have put their head in the sand and say, I hope it passes. Boy, a lot of parents are like that. They live their life. They train their family with a hope-so mentality. Let me let me get real with you for just a moment. Boy, I hope my daughter doesn't come back a lesbian. I hope my son doesn't want to enter into this whole new transgender dynamic. I hope this, I hope that. I hope I remember when I was a kid, all parents hoped is that their kids wouldn't get pregnant out of wedlock. Parents have a whole lot more to worry about than just getting pregnant out of wedlock now. Although that's terrible. But we live with a hope so mentality. And this weekend, if you will stay with me for the next several services, I hope that what I'm going to talk to you about is that you may feel obligated, but I'm telling you an obligation for versus opportunity. Opportunity wins every time. You see, my friends, there's a story in the Bible about this. There's a story in the Bible when we find ourselves in a situation when everything in the world in front of you looks different than everything behind you. Write that down for me, because I want you to go home and meditate on it. What do I do when everything in the world everything in front of me looks different than everything behind me? Now think about Lewis and Clark. Well, there they are. Sixteen months. Uh, up river up river up river going through the plains going through missouri and then going through the next day through this louisiana purchase when they're walking through that paddling th- have you been through nebraska i mean have you been through south dakota besides the black hills There's not a lot there. Paddling, paddling, paddling. And all of a sudden they face this ginormous mountain. And they're looking at it and they're like, oh my, what do we do? Everything in front of us looks like nothing behind us. Can I just be real? In the church world, everything in front of us looks like nothing behind us. And you have to decide, am I going to embrace opportunity? Or am I going to settle for obligation? I want you to write this down, because I think this is going to be real for your family. What do you do when yesterday's solutions are today's problems? What do you do when the solution of yesterday is now the problem for today? Easy illustration of that, and we'll unpack it over the next several services, is what was our quick fix in the church 10 years ago is now the very problem we're facing today. It's many of the things that are keeping us from being relevant in the world. Obligation versus opportunity. Let me wrap it up with this. You know the story of Nicodemus. In John 3, the light had just come into the world. They had that come and see mentality. You know, Philip went and found uh, Nathaniel and said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he said, come and see. The come and see mentality was happening in John 3. And Nicodemus came, and there was this light. Nicodemus was a theologian. Nicodemus was a leader of religion. But when the light came into the world, he realized where he was lacking. You know, a lot of times you don't realize where the flaws are until you turn the light on. And you have to decide, who am I going to be? You know, because certain creatures are drawn to the light. Moths are drawn to the light. Bugs are drawn to the light. I mean, if you ever went out there on a cool night like this, and you said, well, let's have some coffee or something on the back porch, and then the sun sets, and you turn the light on, and the bugs come in? And then before long, you're like, turn the light off, turn the light off. We'll sit in the dark. Certain bugs are drawn to the light, but then sometimes you go into an old abandoned house, hopefully an abandoned house and not one being occupied. I have been into some that are occupied, turn the light on, and roaches run. Roaches run from the light, but moths are drawn to the light. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You have to decide, am I going to embrace the light or run from the light? Nicodemus decided, I'm going to be a moth, the only one. I'm going to be a moth. All the other religious leaders began to run away from the light because the true light had come. And in him was the life of men, the life of men. And Nicodemus was so drawn to the light that he came to Jesus and he said things like this. I mean, when you look at it, he said in John 3, 1 and 4, I mean, it's amazing. He came and he said, what must I do to be born again? What must I do to be born again? Because he realized he was lacking. And when you think about that and what he is saying, the story of Nicodemus, Jesus said, are you the leader of Israel? And you're asking me what you must do? What he was really doing was pointing out the deficiencies in his belief system. You see, Nicodemus, he was so invested in the old. He had a degree in the old. He had accolades from the old. He had plaques from the old. He had trophies from the old, but he was drawn to the new. He was a teacher to many, but he desired to to learn from one. People gathered to hear Nicodemus teach, but the one that taught many now desired to be taught by one. Nicodemus was a man, he was a man who understood reason, but he found Jesus to be unreasonable in his teaching. Nicodemus was a man who found the darkness that he thought was a true light, but now that the true light had come, he realized he had been carrying false light. You see, my friends, what I want you to understand is a couple of things as I wrap this up. Nicodemus understood that the obligation of the old forces him to settle for the status quo. And I want you to know that as you prepare to go into uncharted waters, I remember uh, 12 12 years ago, I sat in the office of our denominational leaders, and when when I laid out the model for Family of Grace Church, it was so non-traditional. That the leader of the Louisiana Baptist Convention, I sat in his office. Matter of fact, he ended up coming and joining our church. He said, Brad, here's what I want you to do. He said, we we don't understand anything about this. He said, I want you to be our Lewis and Clark. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to leave the signs behind you as you go so that we can come behind you as a denomination so that we can come behind you and begin to duplicate what you're doing because we've never traveled this way before. My friends, today, it has been 12 years since we have launched into the formation of it, 11 years since we've been having public worship, and we are having to learn today more than ever because every day leads us into more uncharted territories. As we walk further in the darkness in this post-Christian world, we have to learn new ways to be relevant. But I am telling you today that when I I get to heaven I want to finish burnt out saying I left it all on the field I gave it all on the field and Lord I may not have reached my city I may not have changed my city but Lord I left it all trying you see Nicodemus realized realized that he could make it he was drawn to something different Lewis and Clark they had an obligation to get to the west coast but if they would have really done what was good for the country they could have justified in their minds to hurry back to Washington gather up fresh troops and fresh resources that hadn't been paddling upriver for 16 months not ride out the winter in South Dakota where you had never experienced a winter can I get an amen but you know what They no longer saw the obligation but they saw an opportunity. I believe, I believe my friends that when they saw that Rocky Mountain, they saw it as something to be conquered and not something to conquer them. I believe that Lewis did not see himself at the foot of the mountain but he saw himself on top of the mountain. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the next service. But what God was saying and doing is this. In Lewis and Clark's life, they saw an opportunity and for you, you have an opportunity. If you really Realize and not allow the obligation of yesterday to pin you down so that you cannot embrace the futures of tomorrow. You see, obligation forces us to settle for status quo, but opportunity equips us to reach the impossible because things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Obligation says retreat and take my canoe and go home. Opportunity says burn the canoe. I'm going to climb a mountain. You see, my friends, obligation is awkward, but opportunity is awesome. Obligation is binding, but opportunity is a blessing. I want you to understand that obligation is a critic to you, but opportunity is the charismatic leader inside of you. Obligation is deceptive, but opportunity is delivering. Obligation is enraging, but opportunity is enlightening. From A to Z, opportunity trumps obligation every time because there are things that are yet to be conquered. You want me to go on a little bit more for you? When you think about it, my friends, obligation is forceful, but opportunity is forthcoming. Obligation is grinding. Opportunity is ginormous. I'm telling you today from A to Z, opportunity will always conquer the naysayers of obligation. And today, my friends, you have an obligation to be a faithful, fully functional, healthy disciple of Jesus Christ but you have the opportunity to conquer a world in new charted territories that you have never seen and you have never imagined. Do you want to be part of that? Will you be part of that? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He was messed up. He was messed up. Write these three things down and I'm done. You need to do what Nicodemus did. Know what you don't know. Write that down. Quit faking it till you make it. I had a staff member one time. I hired them in our media team, and I knew they didn't know anything. I hired them straight out of college, and they kept trying to fake it till they make it. I said, quit trying to fake it till you make it. I know you didn't know it. I didn't hire you for what you knew. I hired you for your heart for our ministry and your passion for what you're doing. It's time that we quit faking it till we make it and we come together as leaders of this church and many churches just like we do at our church and say, you know what guys, I don't know what to do but God does. I know this, I know what I don't know. I know what I don't know. I know what I don't know. How do you respond when Jesus exposes that? Mm -hmm. Know what you don't know. No. the second thing is, know where the change or correction needs to come. Nicodemus knew right away he was in the eternal aspect. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you must be born again. You want me to crawl back in my mother's womb? Well, he messed up his theology. Know where you need to make the change. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to mold you? If so, what does it look like? And the last thing, the last thing I want to give you, know who you need to submit to. Lewis and Clark camped out in South Dakota, snow falling, temperature approaching zero, huddled around a fire, seeing things they had never seen before. I remember reading in their journal about the first time they saw a buffalo, first time they saw animals they had never seen before. They said, we have to find a way. Church, your city, your regional area is depending on you to find a way to stay relevant. I know you're facing mountains that seem unpassable. At the end of this service, would you make a commitment to burn? (laughs) I was 16 years old, and Corey led me there to burn my cassette of Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. (laughs) Ah, Some of you grew up in that age. Because it was destroying my life. It was making my mind meditate on things that were unhealthy and unholy. Now, remember, I didn't go there to burn my cassette and my c- I mean my there were no CDs yet, my cassette. Why? Because the true light had not yet shone in my life. Oh, I had religion. Oh, I was a drug baby. I mean, I drugged church before I was ever born. For nine months, my mama waddled me down to the church house. But those other teenagers that had already seen the light, and that light was life to them, was burning their cassettes and albums because it was unhealthy and unholy to their way they were thinking. My friends today, obligation to the old focusing on submitting to the wrong thing is unhealthy. And today, honestly, if it's keeping you from reaching your city, it's unholy. Because Paul said we need to become all things to all people that we might win some. Not say you either come be like us or go somewhere else. In this early service, you're the core of this church. Would you right now just begin to say, God, help me to burn, burn the mentality of the old Burn the mentality of submitting the wrong thing. Burn the obligation that I can't let go so that I can grab hold of the opportunity. Know who you're submitting to. When you think about this, I want to leave you with this. This is a great scripture for this week with the great Billy Graham passing. How many times did he stand up there and say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Summarize that for you. God, the almighty author, so loved the world, the mightiest motive, that he gave his only begotten Son the greatest gift, that whoever the widest welcome believes in him the easiest escape should not perish the divine deliverance but have everlasting life, the priceless possession. Do you think that God gave the royal diadem of heaven for you to come and say, well, pastor, we'd sure like to reach our city. But you know, folks, we live in a post-Christian world. They just don't like Jesus anymore. Well, I know they don't like Jesus. You think they liked him when he came the first time? Need I remind you how that story ended? (laughs) Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There's an opportunity set before you that ought to have you like a kid at the candy store, a kid going to Disney World for the first time. It ought to seem bigger than life to you. Get your head out of the sand and say, Jesus, you are our Sacagawea. You have already led over the past. You know it was nothing for Sacagawea. She knew how to get there. There was a past that her people had already created. They just walked over it. I'll share more about that story next hour. But here's what I want you to know you are the difference makers. Would you join me in this prayer right now? Lord, open my heart and pull out the fear. Lord, remove the fear of the past so that I can embrace the new. Give me courage. Lord help me not to retreat. But Lord show us as a family, a faith family, how we're going to change our city. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor One.